Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit who comforts us. In the name of Jesus, amen. In Psalm chapter 50, God teaches the church to pray, Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you will glorify me. These are great words given to us by God because he is teaching us to believe that he actually has the power to save and deliver us. He can deliver sinners from sin. He can stretch out his almighty hand and change things in this world. This terrible world, which it is fallen, has terrible things in it that flow from the curse of sin. But even these things can be overruled and overcome by God. He can take away evil. He can cure diseases. He can remove hardship. He can help rectify terrible circumstances. He can bring wars to an end. He can forgive sinners. I think we as Christians believe that at a certain level. But I also think we as 21st century Americans are incredibly pragmatic. And so we say one thing, but often we behave a little differently. So we're, we're quick to say, God can fix this. God can deliver. God can save. And then we're also very quick to accept evil in this world and move on and treat it as a matter of course. Uh, think of this with the attitude in American Christianity after the passage in the 1970s of Roe v. Wade. Now that abortion is legal, there's no changing it. We must just accept that it happens and move on. It's a reality of life. It's a reality of this world. And it was only an outspoken minority within the church that continued to pray and to preach and refuse to celebrate now that this evil has been limited. And so, as we think about this, um, this is what slowly changed people's minds. It wasn't that someday the switch was flipped, but it was that God's people prayed. It's God's people taught. God's people preached. And that's what God's people are called to do. The same can be said about decisions by our government uh, in orders that they legalize and protect all sorts of evil things like fornication, adultery, substance abuse, and whatever other destructive evils that the culture wants to force everyone to accept. We think it's either up to change things in our own lives, or it's the tacitly accept things and the new terms that everyone wants us to live by. But often as we live in this world and we see the evil around us and we experience the effects of evil in our lives, we forget the Kyrie. Lord, have mercy. And this is the purest and most faithful prayer that as we stand before God in this world as sinful human beings, that we ask God to help us, to deliver us, to change us, and to forgive us. There is much evil in the world. It's often too great for us. Martin Luther writes, With strength of ours cannot be done, so were our lost affected. What's he saying? He's saying that the evil in this world, the sin, the death, the power of the devil, can't be overcome by our own strength and our might. There are evils in this world that we are indeed powerless against. We cannot overcome them. 
And so very often we are tempted to see our own weakness and resign ourselves to whatever evils are produced in the world and in our own lives. I don't have the power to change it. I have to just simply accept it. Problem is that we often think that since we don't have the power to change something, that God can't do it either. And rather than fervently calling upon the name of the Lord, we resign ourselves to the sins of this world and their results and their fruits in our lives. We think that God is either unable or unwilling to help us. And this is a sin that must be repented of. We think that God is somehow out distant, not caring. We are to call out, though. We are to see God as something more, something different than this. We're to call out in faith knowing that God is willing, God is able, and God does desire to help us. This is what Job does when he says, Though he slay me, yet I will trust in him. What is Job saying? He's saying that in the midst of his struggle, in the midst of his weakness, in the midst of his near death, he will trust in God and continue to pray that he removes his plagues from him. That is true faith. It's understanding that the will of God is best and is righteous, but also knowing that God can help and deliver in times of trouble. He will deliver us. We will glorify him. And this is what Jesus shows us in our gospel lesson this morning. As he was headed into Jericho, he was met by a great crowd of people. And the blind man hears Jesus as he's coming into town. He hears the commotion. He says, hey, what's this all about? And they tell him, hey, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And upon hearing this name, he cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. People hear him and they say, be quiet. He cries out more. His cries for mercy become a nuisance to the crowd, but he doesn't care. He cries out, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Well, what would cause this man to cry out like this? This fervent, persistent, unflinching cry for mercy. Well, first, at some point, he most likely heard Psalm 50. He knew that God delivers sinners in their time of trouble. But he also believed in these words and regarded them as a promise from God. He had faith that God is the helper of sinners. But he also believed in the promised Messiah. He knew that the Lord's Christ was coming into the world to save and to help sinners just like him. And finally, he knew that that Messiah was Jesus. Jesus is the son of David. He's also David's Lord. And so he fervently cries out to Jesus, and he trusts that Jesus both desires to help him and has the power to help him. We should pray with such great faith that God would bless us in this way. We should be on our knees that God would make us like this blind man. Because this blind man knew where his help and salvation were. Uh, Psalm 121 says, I lift my eyes to the hills from where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. There's no cure immediately for blindness. This man was blind. He was a beggar. And when he cried out, everyone around him tried to get him to be quiet. His cries for mercy were a nuisance to everyone around him. He was unimportant to the world around him. 
Just a reminder of the misery this world has to offer, seeing him sit on the corner at the gate of the city, begging for food, begging for money, best ignored, passed by, forgotten about. Perhaps a person would drop a coin in his hand from time to time just to soothe their own conscience, but otherwise this man was hopeless in the eyes of most people who saw him. He was not without hope and not without help before God, though. He had faith in Jesus. And he knew that Jesus is the Son of God and that God can help him. How often do we dismiss our troubles or blindly accept them? There is a time to accept infirmity and life with some faith. We all have crosses that we have to bear in this life. We have to understand that sometimes suffering works for our good. There are blind people who do not regain their sight. There are sick people who say sick, and this is true more often than not. And these times we're to find comfort in God's word to St. Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. But sometimes we're so quick to accept these things are inevitable that we neglect to pray first that God would help us. It's as if we believe that we can predict the future and we already know what God's going to do, so we dare not ask. How foolish. Considering that Jesus teaches us to ask. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. The one who knocks, it will be opened. And here Jesus is teaching us that he's willing and he's able to help. He knows what is good for us. He will provide what is good for us. And so he's calling upon us to dwell in faith and to trust in his good will towards us. Ask. How often do we even just fail to ask? We either resign ourselves to our, our fallen circumstances or we fail to pray for deliverance. St. James chastises the church in the uh, first century. He says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, not doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he's receiving anything from the Lord. He's double-minded, unstable in his ways. The same thing can be said of persistent sins, though it exists in our lives. Ask. Ask God for help. So many sins are present in our lives. Often we feel like we can't control them. There's things like addiction or lust or gluttony or anger or any other habitual sin that we live within. Uh, they're, they're often impossible to overcome. They feel like these big mountains to climb. And so what do we do? Well, we think, well, I can moderate and control it. I can put it into certain contexts so it's not as destructive. And so if a person struggles with lust, they think, well, I can manage it by looking at pornography. Or if a person struggles with addiction, they try to manage it by just, I'm only going to drink socially. And the same could be said concerning any other sin. I'm only going to binge eat donuts once a month. And we accept that we, we have it. We call it normal, and then we lie to ourselves by saying it's something that we can manage if we just put it in the proper place, and then it won't infect the rest of our lives. We teach this to our children, by the way. We say things like, well, our teenagers are going to fornicate no matter what we do or say, so we might as well make sure they just do it safely. Let's try and manage the behavior, and then they won't lose control. But this is nothing other than acceptance of sin. To tacitly accept or rejoice in sin is wrong. 
We think we can control and manage it. Why? Because we think it depends on us. We think that we can fix things by our own will, our own power, our creativity, our, our contextualizing, our problem-solving abilities. But you know what? When we try to do that, it will fail. My sins will consume me. My sin will overcome my life. But we also forget that Christ is willing and able to help us and deliver us. We treat sin as like it's this inevitable thing that we just have to face and deal with and put in its proper little pockets in our lives so nobody sees it. But that's not what God says. He doesn't say conceal your sin. He doesn't say manage it. He says call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you will glorify me. The day of the trouble that we face is the day when sin sin rears its ugly head in our lives. And when that happens, call upon God or help. He has the power to help you. That power is in the gospel. The gospel is all about delivering people from sin. He's promised to do it. Jesus does not hesitate to help the blind beggar. Jesus stopped, commanded him to be brought to him. He, when he came near, he says, what do you want me to do for you? He said, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. I think sometimes we forget how gracious Christ is. Faith depends on that grace. We must remember why Jesus is passing through Jericho that day. He's headed to Jerusalem. This is taking place right before Holy Week. Jesus is going to Jerusalem to die for sinners. This is what he's telling his disciples. He says, see, we're going to Jerusalem And everything that's written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. He will be mocked, shamefully treated, spit upon, and after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. Jesus is passing through Jericho for that to happen in just a few short days. How does Christ use that mighty power? How does he use his power to save? He dies for sinners. He regards us in our hour of need. See, we see it all right here, played out. He goes to Jerusalem to die on the cross. He walks boldly to his cross, even on the road to his death. He has nothing but mercy for sinners. Even on the road to his death, he helps the blind man. The poor blind man knew Jesus could help him. His faithful cries are heard by his merciful Lord. If Jesus is willing to show compassion on this man at this time in his affliction, how much more is he willing to show compassion upon us who are afflicted with sin, who are forced to dwell in a fallen and sinful world? Jesus is our helper. Are your troubles different from this blind man's? Is this man better or worse than you are? That he should receive mercy from Christ and you should not? No. This is the same Christ. The same Jesus who helps the blind man is your deliverer. The same Jesus who helps the blind man is your helper. And so when we are plagued by sin... When we are plagued by weakness, when we are plagued by infirmity, or any other product of sin, 
your right to call upon the name of Jesus? Do I have habitual sin that it's ruining me, destroying everything in my life, and hurting the people around me? Cry out to Jesus. He will help you. Am I afflicted with illness and distress? Well, call upon the name of the Lord. He will deliver you, and you will glorify him. Is your heart broken because your loved ones have fallen into sin and faithlessness? Pray to God to help you and deliver them to help and help you speak the truth in love. Are you overwhelmed by persistent and continual evil in this world? Pray to the God who consoles people and comforts us with the promise of the resurrection. Do not accept sin as an uncomfortable reality. It's not something that you have to accept. You must never do that. No, pray. Pray that God delivers us. This is what he ultimately does for his Christians. He acts in mercy. And those who trust in this mercy are saved. So often, we treat the mercy of God like it's an occasional thing. It comes to me only when I need it. No, it's a continual and eternal thing. It does not run out. It never fails. It never falls short of its aim. God's mercy is perfect. And when the blind man cries out for Jesus to have mercy on him, he's asking that Christ sees his need and act for his good. He's asking this in spite of himself. This blind man knows he's a sinner. In the same way, we're sinners, and we deserve way worse than blindness. For the wages of sin is death. And to cry out for mercy is asking God to regard us according to his goodness rather than our sinfulness. We're asking him to... Work for our good, knowing full well that we deserve nothing but evil. We have done wrong. Our wrong is not just against ourselves. Our wrong is not just against each other. Our wrong is against God. But we expect him to give us good gifts anyway. And that's because God is gracious. And so we, we cry out with this blind man, Jesus, have mercy on me. These would be totally foolish words. If I were to, to walk up to Jesus and say, Lord, have mercy, these would be totally foolish words if it weren't for Christ. If it were not for the gospel of Christ dying for sinners, there would be no mercy. We would say, Lord, have mercy, and we would be laughed out of the room. We would have no notion of God's gracious attitude toward us. We would have no notion of God's love toward us. We would call upon the Lord in faith. Why? What faith? What goodness? What graciousness? Why would we ask for deliverance from sin? Why could we ever expect God to help us? How could we ever regard him as good and trustworthy? We couldn't. Apart from Christ, we could do nothing but flee from him. We would despise prayer. We would hate the very thought of God. And many do. Those who do not know God through his Christ can only see God in judgment. They gnash their teeth at him. They live faithlessly. They scoff at the prayers of the faithful, and they despise the mercy of Christ. And that is because they do not see the power of the cross of Jesus. They do not see the merit of the blood of Christ that was spilled as a propitiation for their sins. They were ones who were irritated by the blind man's pleas for mercy. But that's not you. Dear Christians, 
dear friends. As you heard from Jesus last week, to you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. And the mystery of the gospel has been revealed to you. Your eyes have been opened in faith. The Holy Spirit has made his dwelling place in your heart so that you know that God is merciful to sinners. That is what the gospel teaches us. It teaches us that God is merciful. And in that mercy, he works for your good. We can be certain of his love. We can be certain of his compassion towards us. We can pray to him with that same certainty as the blind man, knowing that he hears us and he cares for us, that he will deliver us in our day of trouble. St. Paul writes, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all good things? This means that the gospel of Jesus is actually applicable to our lives. The world that we live in and the people that we love, the contacts that we have, the things that we experience, how we view them, how we approach them, are all shaped by the mercy of Jesus. That mercy is applicable because it's for sinners. And that's what we all are. And sinners receive mercy from God. And in that mercy, we should always expect that God will deliver us. Pray for that deliverance. As Jesus teaches us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, he says, deliver us from evil. Well, what does that mean? Other than we pray would God be merciful to sinners. Martin Luther, he teaches it this way. He says, we pray in this petition in summary that our Father in heaven would rescue us from every evil of body and soul, possessions and reputation. And finally, when our last hour comes, give us a blessed end and graciously take us from this valley of sorrow to himself in heaven. And so what do our cries for mercy mean? Our cries for mercy are always heard by God, according to his great mercy, according to his great love, according to the work of Jesus. And so those cries for mercy mean that God would help us, that he would deliver us from persistent sin in our lives, that he would deliver us from the influence of this wicked and fallen world, that he would deliver us and guide us through those things that plague our hearts, our minds, our bodies, and our souls, and that he would eventually bring us through this life of pain, of distraction, of sorrow and sin, through the valley of the shadow of death, to himself in heaven. The blind man received his sight from Jesus. That's true. It's good. Then so will every blind Christian receive sight from Jesus. Perhaps not immediately, like the man in our story, but in the life of the world to come. And the same thing could be said for any of the evils that plague us in this life. We must believe that God will remove them from us. The wickedness of our culture around us, those sicknesses, infirmities which plague our bodies and our minds, those persistent sins and temptations that we are so weak in resisting, there will be a day when they are removed from us. And there's not a single evil in this life that will endure into eternity. And as we pray for God to have mercy, faith teaches us that God is merciful. He will show his mercy. God will deliver you, and you will glorify him. Those who have faith in the mercy of the gospel, those who know the forgiveness of sins, to them, this is without question. 
It may even be that he provides that deliverance now. And you will glorify him. He will answer your prayer and bring about what he did for the blind man. He certainly does that for us today. Today, at the beginning of the service, we prayed and sang together, Lord, have mercy upon us. Christ, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us. The Kyrie. Today, we can know for certain he has provided that mercy. He did and does forgive your sins. He did so before we even asked him by giving us the words of the absolution. He also has done it by providing his word to us that we might be strengthened in faith. And he will do it again. Before we even finish the service this morning, he will give us the very body and blood of his dear son for the forgiveness of our sins. My friends, God has mercy on sinners. If you leave here today doubting that God is merciful, remember what God gives to redeem sinners. He gave his son. And then go and live according to that mercy that God has provided. Call upon him. If you are troubled by evil, if you are troubled by sickness or sin or temptation or any other thing, if your heart is grieved, call upon him. And he will, in his time, deliver you. He already has. And when we cry out for the mercy of God, we're not crying out in uncertainty. We're not asking, well, maybe you might do it, Lord. You're crying out in faith because we know he has mercy. He's proved it to us. He is merciful to us for the sake of Christ. And so do not hesitate to ask Jesus for help. And in this way, we are resisting Satan so that he will flee from us. We are placing all of our hope and trust in the cross of Jesus. We're calling upon the name of the Lord. And as we remember, the scriptures teach, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Let us pray. Dear Father in heaven, have mercy on us. Cause us to make our prayers and supplications to you so that like the blind man, we persistently cling to the mercy of Christ, our dear Savior. Plant in us a fervent faith that trusts in your merciful goodness so that we can ask anything of you, trusting that you will deliver us from all evils of this body and life and bring us to our home in heaven. In the name of Jesus, amen. Now may the peace of God that surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and your minds to life everlasting. In the name of Jesus, amen.